Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat sermon by Rabbi Adam Kligfeld. One of my favorite comedians, Gary Goldman, Jewish guy from the Boston area whom I try to see in person every time he comes to LA, usually plays at the Largo in La Cienega. There's a very funny line where he says, you know how the Eskimos have a hundred words for snow? Jews have a hundred words for loser. Shmagegi and, sh- and Shemo and Yutz. And he goes on and on and on. And two of the ones that he mentions in the bid are Shlemiel and Shlemazel. Raise your hand if you've heard of Shlemiel and Shlemazel. Which he says are synonyms. In my family actually growing up, we understood those words to mean very, very different things. And I don't remember this as family lore or from one of the Leo Rostin's books which explored the treasuries of Yiddish and Yiddish's overlap into English. We understood Shlemiel to be the klutz who hits something and it falls. And Shlemazel is the one who it falls on. Right? So they're cousins of each other, but a Shlemiel is the one who knocks the thing off and the Shlemazel looks up, Something hits him on the head. Shlemiel and Shlemazel. That may and may not come from sort of a derivation of Shlemazel, Shlomazel, who has no luck, walking down the street as something falls on his head. I've known that distinction, at least in my family, for decades. And it was not until this week that I found that there actually might be a Talmudic, an ancient distinction that has to do with injury law with respect to the one who knocks something or who falls and the one on whom it falls. And it comes from a very serious part in Parshat Mishpatim. One of the verses that we read this morning says, If you strike someone and the context is intentionally and they die, you die. Biblical law had no problem with direct capital punishment for intentional homicide. But the next verse, which is very hard to understand even for biblical scholars who know every possible nuance to every root. The asher lo tzada. Something like, but if you didn't intend it. Tzada can mean to trap. If you weren't trying to trap the person, but maybe it happened accidentally. And the next phrase says, the ha'lohim ina liado. Something like, and God just kind of made it happen. An accident, a circumstance. I'm going to give you a place that you'll flee to. Ancient biblical law said if you kill intentionally, you will get the death penalty. If you kill unintentionally, you can't stay around, mostly because the family of the person you killed unintentionally want to take revenge for your sake and because you did something that needs to be addressed, you go to what's called an irmiklat, the city of refuge. It's the first half of that second verse that there are several interesting commentators on. Because some people read it as two phrases reinforcing the same thing. If you didn't entrap the person and kind of God made it happen, but the Vilna Gaon, the great Jewish sage, the leader of non-Hasidic Jewish intellectual Judaism a couple hundred years ago, says those two phrases mean different circumstances. Because he says there are more than one way there's more than one way to do something by accident. In the Hebrew, where you don't intend to. 
means, according to the Vilna Gaon, you weren't planning on having a heavy thing fall off a ladder and having it land on someone's head and killing them, but it happened. That's one way of shogig, where you had no sense it was going to happen, but maybe you weren't being sufficiently careful. The second one, this is going to be hard for us to understand giving our theologies, when it happens a second time, God kind of helped make it happen. God pushed it to happen. Why? Why would we understand that once you make a mistake, what you didn't intend, but you should have been more careful, the second time around, it's as if God is guiding your hand. That's what the Vilna Gaon says. And he quotes from a verse from the prophet Samuel that says, May Rishaim Resha, from evil people, and I'm going to add here, from people who have habituated themselves to act in a way that evil things will occur, even if they didn't intend it originally, evil will somehow happen and result from your actions. God will somehow make sure that the first time when you kind of got away with it because everyone said he didn't intend it, God will make sure it happens again and eventually you'll get trapped, you'll get punished. There are two things I think going on here in the mind of the ancient Torah text and the commentators are trying to make sense of it. Number one, every injury and every loss has an impact and must be addressed. Every parent in the room knows the frustration of seeing a child do something they shouldn't have done should have been a bit more careful, and the child trying to get away with it by saying it was only an accident. It was only an accident ends at some point as being a proper justification when there should have been things that you did to make sure the accident didn't happen. And the second thing I think is going on here, frankly, a Jewish version of karma. You can't run forever. Small amounts of bad things that you do, even intentionally, will lead to great amounts of bad eventually. And how many movies... How many books have been written that suggest this notion that once you start going down the pathway, the lie builds to a bigger lie, the thievery leads to a bigger thievery, Fargo, a simple plan. There's a whole literature based on this notion. His source, the source of the Vilna Gaon, is likely, I can't prove it, but is likely a, a page of Talmud in Tractate Makot, Tractate that deals with flogging in, in uh, punishment for violating certain sins, page 10b. And on that page, a great rabbinic sage from the Talmudic era, Reish Lakish, is explaining that verse from Samuel that says that from evil people, evil will emerge. And what does he say? He says that in a situation where two people killed two people, one of them did it intentionally, and one of them did it unintentionally. And according to this scenario that Rachel Akis is imagining, there were no witnesses. Therefore, both of them are going to get away with it. The intentional murderer is going to get away with not getting the death penalty. And the unintentional murderer, or killer, is going to get away with not, being, not having to flee to the city of refuge. In this situation, according to Rachel Akis, God intervenes. God sees what's happening wherever God is perched. Sees two people about to avoid a punishment, that the world needs to happen on some level to make sense of the loss. And Rachel Lakish imagines a situation where God invites both of these individuals to an inn, to a pundak, 
They don't know why they've been invited. They just got an invitation by God to come. And they're at this inn. And the one who had committed the unintentional murder or, or killing is asked to climb a ladder. The one who had committed the intentional murder is asked to sit below the ladder. You can see where this is going. The one who committed the unintentional sin at the top of the ladder slips and falls and kills the person underneath. Perfect biblical rabbinic justice. The intentional murderer did indeed have to give up his life. And the unintentional murderer, now in front of witnesses, has fallen, has unintentionally killed a person, and therefore he has to flee to the city of refuge. Both of the initial deaths are responded to. One of them is no longer alive. One of them spends a certain amount of time no longer being able to live the life that he lived before. What do we make of this Fantasy, this imagination of Rachel Lakish, imagine that God is going to make things right in both of these situations. Do we believe that the world operates on that level? That that's the way God makes God manifest in our involvement in, in life? Do we believe it's overly deterministic? Maybe some people actually do get away with things. But it's not the only place in our tradition where we note that continuing on a particular path whether it be a good path or a bad path, will eventually lead to God in the sense, the way that God created the human condition, to making sure you're going to continue going down that path. The classic explanation for why it is that in the beginning of the story of the ten plagues, that it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. And by the time we got to plague four or plague five, it says, that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And we moderns say, how could that be? How could God make Pharaoh do something and then punish Pharaoh for having done it? The, the explanation in many of the Midrashim is once Pharaoh became habituated to hardening his heart, to letting evil emerge from his decrees, God hardened in the sense that that's the way God created our reality. That's the way God created the human condition. If you continue to harden your heart when you could have softened it, if you continue to be cruel when you could have been kind, if you continue to make mistakes and not pay the punishment for it because you say it was just an accident, that on some level, God will make sure that will continue to grow and amplify. At some point, you become the person that is the accumulation of all the things that you have done, intentionally, by accident, good and bad. When I grew up in USY, we had ruach sessions, singing Shabbat songs and sometimes just sticky songs. I remember one of the songs that I most love to sing, it's actually a direct quote from the Mishnah, from Pirkei Avot, Mitzvah Goreret Mitzvah. We sang a Mitzvah Goreret Mitzvah, so we know it, Avera Goreret Avera. What does it mean? One mitzvah pulls another one along with it. If you're a mitzvah-doing person, you're likely gonna continue to be a mitzvah-doing person because being involved and the habituation of doing the things that our tradition asks us to do means that you'll grow accustomed to it. Each one might not have the same pizzazz as it did originally, but you will stay on that path. And the opposite, if you transgress, if you violate, if you cross one boundary and nothing happened, you didn't get zapped, and you cross another boundary and you realize that it doesn't seem to be direct punishment, you are going to be the type of person who's living a life not of mitzvah, of obligation, but of avera of transgression. On that page in Talmud that I quoted before, 
another set of rabbis bring sources, which I'm not going to go into right now, from the Torah, from Nevi'im, from prophets, from Kedubim, from writings, that says that path that you are on, God knows the path that you are on, and God will help you or ensure that you stay on that path. But who chooses the direction of that path? You. God produces the engine in, ex- under, in creating a situation in which human beings' behaviors start to create a pattern. But is it entirely up to you which, path, which direction that path takes, towards the mitzvah or towards the avera, towards the obligation or towards the sin, towards the carefulness or the carelessness, towards the evil or towards the good? Maybe perhaps the most we can pull out of this entire material is our tradition over thousands of years encouraging us, wherever we are perched right now, to take the first step on the path that represents the direction that we think is most worthy of us, worthy of life itself, and worthy of God. The next time you come to an opportunity where you're choosing left or right, or right or wrong, if you step towards kindness, our tradition says, if you step towards honesty, if you step towards righteousness, if you step towards peace, you will get used to it. And God will help. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.